What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Wednesday, December 7th episode of the OBR Film Breakdown presented by FanDuel. I'm your host, Jake Burns. I'm going to be joined here by Jared Mueller in just a moment. Again, want to remind you guys before we get going about some good stuff we have up at the OBR today where we dig into a lot of important topics. Fred Greetham gave his opinion on some of the stuff surrounding Deshaun Watson. We got a stock up, stock down on uh, Cleveland Browns, uh, different both sides of the football with Jack Duffin, and then uh, what is the best news of the day, which is Joel Batonio was named the Browns representative for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which they will later give an NFL-wide award to, but it is always cool to see Joel getting recognized for anything, because I could not be a bigger fan of that guy. His mom was on hand, his wife and children were all there too to see him get that award. If you did not catch the video of them surprising Joel, it's pretty cool, so try to find time to do that. It is your Wednesday episode, as I said earlier, so that means we are going to do our Burning Browns question episode that brings in Jared Mueller. Jared, welcome in. My friend, how are you? I'm good, man. I was thinking that you might want to trade me, Christian. I'm just kidding. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm good, man. Fantasy football, it's got us, man. Yeah, it does. (laughs) A lot of wheeling and dealing back channel stuff going on in the uh, Any Given Sunday Fantasy League. Um, Okay. So we're going to start with a couple things that are outside the Browns, but that's okay. I think we should hit on both of them real quick, Jared. Uh, the first is Baker Mayfield, and, and I'm not here to, to do anything other than just it's interesting, right? I think that what I had hesitancy with Baker going to the Panthers was the offensive style, and people were at the beginning of the year trying to talk about, you know, this is a better fit for Baker, unleash him, and he can do all these different things, and they were really pigeonholing him into that system, the wide zone, Shanahan, Kubiak system, and I'm like, brother, I'm here to tell you he played his best football in that system. And the 2020 is an indication of what he needs. 2021, the Browns obviously tried to put a little bit more pressure to figure out how really, really how good is this guy uh, and got their answer. But, you know, I think that that structure of offense is what's best for him. He just was missing the layups in 2021. That was the biggest issue other than some other things floating around. But I thought him going somewhere that fit that system was right. And when the announcement came down about, you know, uh, the trade, I thought the Jets might make some sense, but there were also varying degrees of preseason stuff where they're all in on Zach Wilson and a lot of different stuff. The Falcons could have made some sense because of Arthur Smith, guys who run that system. So you're looking at the, you know, the, the, you know, the little floors of the world, one at the Jets, the Packers talking about the West coast guys, McVeigh, you're talking about Shanahan. I think everybody thought Shanahan would claim him based on the Jimmy G injury, but 
seems as though the 49ers are pretty dead set on staying away from Mayfield. They said some respectful things, but it was it was clear that that was going to be a no based on what Shanahan said in his presser. But I had thought that the 49ers made sense. Maybe the Titans made sense because these are teams who run a lot of those principles. And obviously the Rams made sense to me as well. You know, people have talked about Tampa and I get that you're backing up Brady. You're, you're, you're maybe able to step in when Brady retires, whenever that might Brady's like a hedge fund manager or these guys who have a book of business. Like these old, these old guys never retire, right? They just keep getting, not giving you their book of business someday. (laughs) The book of business just makes the money. Brady's like that. He's not retiring. He retires when we actually see him retire in a season starts or something like that. Right. The papers have to be officially submitted. But anyway, I thought McVay was interesting uh, and San Fran, partly because, and this was even before the Jimmy G injury, I thought San Fran was interesting because, you know, you could come in, you know, be the backup to shit to, uh, to Jimmy G for a while, and then maybe be the backup or, you know, potentially even compete with Lance or until Lance is ready the next year, you got a chance to maybe get some games, you know, with the Rams were interesting because this thing with Stafford, as we're reading today is like, it's really serious. Some spinal fusion stuff going on. And, it's really serious, more serious than when I originally threw out the Rams. I thought, okay, Stafford's coming back from whatever shoulder issues happening here. Right. And you got a chance to start next year. So that's who claims him. Makes a bunch of sense. That offense, McVay, he's done those things before. I don't know how many games he'll actually play in the final six, shifting over from uh, you know, uh, from Carolina to, to LA. I don't know how that'll all work out from the dynamic side, but what it does do is a couple things. It was only one point three three million for the Rams to cover this year. But then also, uh, you know, you get the chance and the bearing the lead of, of uh, Adam Schefter was fascinating because Schefter's like, well, the Rams also view it as a chance to get a comp pick. So I don't know how serious they are about Mayfield, but I think they want to bring him in and get a feel for what he looks like in this offense. If they like him, hey, we'll give him another year deal, roll him into the next year. I think Blake Bortles is there. What the happened? Did Bortles leave? What happened there? Did I miss that? Because they've been Bortles playing like Walford and... I believe he retired, actually. But so, did he yeah, retire were, mid-season? I thought he was playing he re- still. He was training camp, I believe, is when he retired. Goodness gracious. I yeah. missed that completely. Because I heard him <laughs> on like Ryan Rosillo's podcast, and I thought he was still playing out in L.A. But anyway, um, they've been shuffling in a couple different guys uh, to to play court. So I'm going to imagine they'll give Mayfield some run. If he's worth another year, they, they might try to see if there's any magic there. But it's... Um, you know, it's not an, a big surprise the Rams claim. Where do you sit on all of this stuff, man? Because it feels like this is the only fit for Mayfield, and it's probably one of his last few real chances to find some starts. Yeah, I think that's the exact way to look at it. I think the biggest question for Mayfield will be, obviously, he has some talent. He could be a top 25 quarterback in the league, top 20, depending on the system, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the biggest thing was he didn't love Stefanski's system because he didn't want not that he didn't want the attention to detail. That was one of the things like, why are we harping on how I use my feet, right? Like my, my footwork and some of the ball handling stuff that he actually became pretty good at. But a lot of it is he wanted to be a point guard. He wanted to drop back or be in shotgun and survey the field and figure out what to do and really kind of play that point guard role and kind of a go, go, go kind of offense. And that's just not really what, uh, you know, Stefanski, McVeigh, Shanahan, you know, all those guys do. So did his time in Carolina, did the lack of maybe interest in him and in trade as well as we'll find out how many uh, teams actually put a claim in on him. Uh, you know, what did that do for kind of that ego? Because I, again, I do think he can be talented, 
unfortunately, and, and this is the good and bad of Baker Mayfield, he's bet on himself so many different times and it has worked so many different times, right? Texas Tech, Oklahoma, first round pick, you know, kind of won the struggle with Hugh Jackson and, and everything that kind of went along with all of that. So he has bet on himself and it has worked to some level, but in the NFL, it's not about chips on the shoulder. And uh, he even talked about on one of the long podcasts he did, the, if you know, you know, you know, podcast or whatever it is. Um, he talked about, it's really hard to lead and motivate players who are making millions and millions of dollars. No, duh. You can't rah, rah somebody. You actually have to be a good leader, someone who's putting in the work, all that stuff. So did this, I'm going to use the word humble. I don't mean that he's not a humble guy, but did it humble him in a way that he is open to doing things differently and can McVeigh get that out of him? I think the energy will work there. Um, you know, I think there is going to be some matching with LA, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it is maybe not his last chance, but it'll be really telling what happens next year, whether it's at LA or anyone else that McVeigh has some connection with. If those teams like Shanahan was, was out or if those teams are out, that means something didn't go well this year with the Rams. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mean to always trudge out Mayfield, but that's a big deal. I mean, you want to see where he ends up going and whether the Browns made a mistake or not, ultimately. And uh, him going from from Carolina to L.A. and one not even a calendar year, not even sticking on the team he was traded to uh, is indicative that there's a problem. So we'll see if uh, if if you can't get it with right with McVay, I, don't, I just don't know where else he can get right. I, re- I really don't at this point. So pulling for him, uh, genuinely pulling for him to get it right and stick around the league for a while because there's enough talent there, but but the stuff that surrounds it uh, seems to be a little bit of the issue over time. Also on the on the cut market, the uh, waiver market, keep an eye out for the Browns and Jalen Darden released fourth round pick 2021, a North Texas guy released by the Buccaneers, uh, returner. Yeah. Uh, shifty jet motion type guy who could be a little bit more uh, again you're you're you know, getting on the field in Tampa wide receivers not easy they got Scotty Miller they got you know they got uh, Godwin in the slot they got Evans and Julio there's a lot of big names so it's not like there's a lack of it's not like you're being cut by the Texans here you know at wide receiver it's a uh, it's a guy that's interesting rookie control still if you claim him so just um, don't be surprised if you hear the Browns end up putting in a claim for him we'll see if that actually materializes the only other thing today Jared that came out was and this is a big deal in the analytics world. Seth Walter at ESPN did his <laughs> survey around the league and the Browns are at the top of pretty much every analytics category. And, you know, I'll read through the categories. Voting for your team uh, is uh, permitted. So, you know, that you can get a bunch of interview 10 Browns guys. Maybe they're the guys who voted. But uh, it said, which NFL <laughs> team is most analytically advanced? The Browns were first with 10 votes. Ravens second with four, Eagles third with three. Which team produces the highest level of analytics work? Browns first with seven votes, Ravens second with four, again, Philly with three. Which team is the most incorporated? Which team most incorporates analytics into decision making? The Browns were number one with nine votes, Philly second with three, Baltimore third, tied with the Colts at two. And from one um, uh, AFC staffer said the Browns have an analytically minded GM. They have leadership all the way, director level and above, who's qualitative or sorry, quantitatively inclined uh, from from these things. So they're at the top of those. And then there's some other categories that are of of semi interest in terms of which teams are the five most analytically inclined um, among the five most. The Ravens had 21 votes. The Browns had 19. Um, 
which teams the least analytically inclined was the Titans and the, and the commanders <laughs> and then uh, some other odds and ends type of question. So two questions based on this is first, does it matter, Jared? Is it, is it going to be uh, an effective thing? Is it ever going to really materialize into consistent, consistent winning? Because teams at the top of this, you know, Ravens and Eagles are winning pretty consistently, but then it's like the Falcons. And then there's like teams like the Texans are getting some votes and some of these things, but the bills are there. Uh, the Vikings are there. I mean, I guess it's like, you know, is this a big deal or is it, eh, it's you sort know, of I, like you need more balance. I think, well, that's what I was actually going to say. There was a part in that article that uh, an NFC personnel person said, from what I understand, they've really married the two. So it, they have a lot of analytics, which just means you're distilling a lot more information, but that they marry the uh, football side with the, you know, football people are involved in the analytic or in the, the decision-making and analytics people are, are involved in the football. Um, in the end, I, I think the reality of analytics and data is data tends to prove itself correct, but it takes time, right? Like it takes time to get to the point that the, the data is correct. And many times, non-traditional doesn't get the time, right? Sashi Brown's a great example. Now he's the president of Baltimore, right? Uh, Baltimore Ravens. He was in some role with the Washington Wizards, right? He has these, he's, he's moved up in roles, even though, you know, most people would say he was a failure in Cleveland. Over time, I think it tends to, to work itself out. It just needs to have the proper marriage, the proper balance, um, and I think the hard thing is, is, and last night was a great example. The, um, the announcers tried to say that, uh, Tampa Bay should have gone for it on fourth and 10 as if that was an, and they kind of talked about it as if it was an analytics decision and they should have followed the analytics and gone for it on fourth and 10 at like the 25 yard line. Like, yeah, like they four needed minutes to left that, and hadn't yeah. done anything. Yeah. Like you got to punt that ball away. Like that's not an analytics decision. So I think they're really kind of skews the conversation in the end the eagles are a great example and baltimore is the other one and to be honest people aren't as aware of it but new england has been a highly analytics based team uh for a very long time um, yeah, they a, just decided I, to hide all the votes which is entirely possible they don't want people to know what they're doing <laughs> they don't i mean i i've talked to people at the combine who are in kind of the front office and in kind of the data orientation uh of the you know work for teams and they're like, yeah, New England is hiring a lot of us, but they hire us and then they do a lot of things to give us roles that then become X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, they're they're highly analytic. So you have three teams that have been generally successful over the years, have reinvented themselves in a variety of ways. And again, may not always be Super Bowls, but is that success? Success? Yes. We want to want everybody wants to win a Super Bowl. But success is being a really good team that can reinvent itself, that can be creative, that can be all that. And I think analytics, while it is numbers, really allows for a lot of that. The other thing I found interesting here is says, which position is the most difficult to evaluate, to evaluate quantitatively? The first one is safety, which received eight votes. Cornerback five, O-line five, quarterback two. We all know quarterback will always be a mystery. You know, it's uh, right. Uh, it's, it's just hard. It's always hard. But I found safety to be fascinating because I don't think the Browns under either Sashi uh, or now uh, Andrew Barry have had a very good run at safeties. Even the John Johnson signing has been 
um, a miss in, in all reality for what they paid and what we expected. And then Grant Delpit has been under, he's been better, but he's been underperforming for a little while here. So it's like, you know, the drafting of Richard LeCount, it's like, uh, there's, there's just some interesting stuff there that I don't know that they are doing all too well with identifying safeties corner. Yeah, I think it's better. I think it's better there for them, but there are blind spots. And I just found it interesting that safety is a one that, uh, that popped up. And I mean, you got to say too, offensive line, they inherited a good portion of this. They signed Conklin, but in my opinion, it wasn't whether Conklin was good. It was a matter of if you wanted to pay him, but they've had to make some decisions on O-line, right? And they drafted Hudson, whose story is untold, but has struggled this year uh, when he's been put on the field. And we all know that Jed has not performed to the level of the guy drafted right behind him, readily available uh, in Tristan Wirf. So there are some things here about the quantitative breakdown of these positions that you can see where the gaps might be had. You know what I'm saying? That's that's an interesting angle to look at, whether they need more scout involvement in those positions. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, I think this is where and we've talked about this, where they start to value youth too much and physical traits and just some of the things that are not panning out or, you know, you need a lot for them to be able to pan out. And so we'll see. I think it's a I think it was a really telling thing. I love that you brought up the positions. I thought it was really telling what they really said there, because I think safety, safety, kind of like quarterback feels a little bit more muddied than really maybe a lot of us really thought. Like you just you need to be able to break things down and do so many different things that it makes sense now to kind of look at it. Go, oh, that's a guy that data, raw numbers, youth. Uh, athleticism aren't always going to tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I get that. Yeah. Like it makes sense. And those, like you said, those are the ones that were listed were kind of the ones they struggled with a little bit. Yeah. It's fascinating. Read, check that out. It's on ESPN.com. Again, Seth Walter wrote that one. You can read all about uh, the angle by which teams are taking to uh, put somebody on the headset that is involved with those decisions and giving number-based thought process, and then also whether they believe momentum is real or not, which is always a funny uh, little question to me. Anyway, we'll be right back. We have four, Pretty good Browns questions here I want to get into with Jared. So we're going to take our first break and we will return. Hey guys, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR, very simple, just OBR, get that sign-up bonus, right? Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. Got to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the first big question here, uh, Jared, is is pinning around Deshaun Watson. It's the talking point for this entire week, as it should be. Uh, is it the question we have and the angle we're taking here is nerves or rust for Deshaun Watson. So I'll let you answer that first and I'll go off what you say. You know, for me and I, he Watson was somebody that I really, really liked coming out of Clemson. One of the things I saw in Clemson is when a lot of the pressure was on him and he was trying to become the Michael Jordan of Clemson or of football, which is what Dabo called him. You saw him grip the ball really, really hard. And you saw some of the things that you saw last week. So for me, I feel like obviously the answer is going to be both, but it's, it's which level. And I, in a lot of ways, I think they kind of compounded each other, but I do think the nerves, the want to produce the want to, you know, to show out in Houston and, and make it about, you know, about the play on the field and all that. I think that compounded some of the rust oriented issues. Um, you know, he just seemed a little clunky is the best way I would say that the clunkiness kind of goes around the rust, but a lot of the, the balls that just slammed into the dirt or, uh, possibly, which is when David Bell got hurt you know, another one that was really, really low. I felt like a lot of those reminded me of what I saw out of Clemson, where sometimes they were high, sometimes they were low, sometimes they were just way too hard, but just a guy who because of his nerves, because of his desire to be great and, and make an impression and all that, just tried a little, little too hard. So um, that's not to say that I've broken down and looked at his footwork and all that stuff. It just felt like a guy who was trying too hard, wanted it too much. And when those first few balls started hitting the ground, that just kind of ramped it up for him. Uh, Whereas if Anthony Schwartz doesn't fumble that ball, right? What does that do for, him to be able to take that deep breath and go, okay, we got this. We're going, let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rust is still there. Obviously rust includes timing, snap counts, you know, all of those little things. Yeah. Rust is involved. I thought uh, I've mentioned it on my pod the last two days, the the series of getting to understand what pressure feels like again, right? Not being with a crowd a year before, even he hasn't been around a football crowd and playing it since 2019 because 2020 was, obviously nobody there. Right. So there's that element to it. There's the element of trying to right every wrong in one game, get back on track. Right. You feel that pressure bear down on you. But to me, it's more than anything else. His worst decisions were when pressure was in his face and you can do whatever you want in practice. You can do whatever you want in throwing sessions with the quarterback coach. There's nothing like having to throw against real life deciphering coverages with 300 pound guys coming at you and, and some of them in your face when you throw. And yep. You just have to get used to that again. What your standard threshold is for how far away a guy is from you before you feel it, right? How do my offensive tackles play consistently? What ways do they get beat? What ways do they not get beat? So that you can sort of feel out where their weak spots are. There's just a bunch of stuff there. So 
it is, again, I'm not surprised that the pressure stats are the worst stats for him. So we'll see if that shakes over the next few days, uh, sorry, next few weeks, but they're going to need it. They're going to need it to be better and certainly going to need him to be better. Uh, the next question comes to the guy I was just talking about at the offensive tackle, which is Jedrick Wills. Like, I guess the question now is, is pretty simple. Are we concerned? Are we concerned about Jed? He's not having a great year. I'm going to write on him at this week because there are, there are things here, right? There are, um, you know, technique issues and that's fine, right? That's fine. I, I, I don't know everything about Jedrick Wills as a person. I haven't spent time with that guy. I don't know many firsthand accounts of how he is, but there have been times this year where I watch him play and I think, does this guy love football? Doesn't play through the whistle. Doesn't show a bunch of passion. And I just am concerned and I've said it, I've been pretty steadfast on the messaging behind this, Jared. He's as talented as I think there is a player at the position in the league. You could probably argue there's some more talent, but as an athlete, very talented. He's just not a finisher. And from that, you cannot be a finisher type, but the play through the whistle stuff is concerning. And then some of the lack of attention to detail that has not just been a one week thing. It is like a, it's like an eight bad weeks, three or four good weeks type of thing for him. And there is a huge fifth year decision looming. There's a huger second contract decision looming and the Browns cannot afford to miss on an important tackle position here. So I don't know. I'm sure that Barry and I'm sure that Callahan and, and Stefanski and AVP and everybody involved are like, they see it, brother. They see it. They see these times where he's quitting. He's, he's not finishing. He's, he's frustrating you. I've got to imagine there's some internal discussion about this exact topic we're having which is, is he good enough? Is it, is, is, is it a time to be concerned about Jedrick Wills, in your opinion, Jared? Because it's getting, it's getting there. It's getting to the end of year three. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I was just looking at ESPN's uh, pass block and run block win rate, and, and as you talk about finishing, you're, you're thinking a little bit more about against the run, you know, as a run blocker. Um, he's 10th in pass block win rate as a tackle. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. We'll take it. Uh, and he is not on the list for run block. So I think there is, there is reason to be concerned. I guess the hardest thing there is not only do you think it look at sunk costs, um, but you look at the ability to replace, right? And so, you know, can you snooker a team, right? Is there a team that you can get a trade that allows you to, you know, get a first round pick back or something that you can find that left tackle? If not, you know, you're, you're really kind of doing that equational stuff. Some of the stuff we're doing in fantasy football, you know, in our trades is we're looking at, okay, Jed wills fifth year option or Jed wills on this second contract at X amount of value versus who, right? Who is that replacement that takes them anywhere different? Or what is the downgrade you're willing to take so that you don't have to pay that contract. Right. So that's really the equation. I think Jed Wills, he, he presents a little bit like the offensive line version of Quinn and Williams, the first couple of years where not really sure what he's doing a little bit young, just kind of all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, by year four, this off season, is there the flip of a switch? Can you become more aggressive? Can you be more dedicated? All of those kind of things. Those things are really hard to measure. And so I don't know if you're concerned as much as you have to change expectations. The fact that he was the number 10 overall pick doesn't change the fact that this is Jedrick Wills, right? If if Jed was the 30th pick, 
would people be okay with that fifth year option and whatever the second contract would be? And are we still holding that the Browns decided to draft him at 10 and Tristan Wirfs was drafted later than him? uh, Or is he actually bad, right? Like that's really got to be the question there because I don't think they're going to pay him like a top five tackle if he's not. It's interesting, man. He has the seventh most pressures allowed of all offensive tackles in the NFL. So, you know, the pass block win rate is the two and a half second mark. He's usually fine in the first two and a half seconds. It's the two and a half and beyond where he's stopping a rep and giving some issues there uh, that seem to be blowing up in his, uh, in his face there. And then you look at some of the other stuff, which is uh, his efficiency rating as a blocker. Uh, he has trying to see if I, I got to make sure I'm right when I'm looking at pro football focus as metrics, he has the ninth worst efficiency rating from them as an offensive tackle this year. His pass blocking grade uh, is a 65 uh, overall, uh, and that includes your play action concepts and everything of the sort. 46th among the top qualifying tackles, which so 46 of 59, that's tackles that have played 50% of 918 snaps this year. So you can see the concern. You can see the concern and you can see it in, you know, his run blocking stuff isn't bad, but it's not, you know, anything to write home on. He's 39th out of 59 qualifiers in run block grade. So it is, uh, I think it's fair to be concerned, but does concern necessarily mean a guy leaves or you're moving him? I don't know. I don't know. I I know there would be teams lined up to take him. I'll tell you that much because there's, there's not enough good offensive linemen in the league. All right. That's for, that's for certain, but you are nervous about the the ceiling for this player that you see talent, but you just see these parts of it are missing. And I just, I wouldn't be surprised to see something in the, uh, you know, we saw Anthony Schwartz put something out the other day about his mental health issues and battling that. I'm just saying the way Jed is on the field. And if I'm a body language person, something is amiss. And I wouldn't be surprised to read that at some point about what's just what's going on there. Because he doesn't seem to be playing with the same fire I've seen from him in years past. So uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope everything's okay. And he's just having a rough go of it, but I'm just, uh, just reading the tea leaves and something looks a little amiss. We're going to take a, our second break, have a question about defense and special teams to close, which I think are given some injuries and some performance, pretty fair to ask. So let's take one last break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So there's the nasty part of the business, Jared, which is injuries. Sione Takitaki tears his ACL, which sucks for him this late in the season. Not just this season, it's late in a contract season situation. I hope 
there's a reunion with the Browns. I think it would fit. I, I do. I think he's come a long way uh, for for a guy who was essentially just a three uh, a third linebacker in a 15 to 17 snap range to be playing three downs uh, the way he was from the Anthony Walker injury on and Jacob Phillips injury on has been really impressive and there's a future for him. I hope it's in Cleveland and maybe unfortunate side of that, but yet fortunate for Cleveland is that that could yield a return at a discounted price because of the injury. We'll see. But now this discussion turns to what are they going to do the rest of the year? Cause there are six meaningful games still on the schedule. Uh, the question is, do they want to play Tony Fields who had a pretty nice game, uh, right? Had a, had a, obviously that punch out fumble on the, um, did a great job on that quarterback sneak to get that football out, scoop and score, and then uh, made a really athletic interception on that tip ball from um, Chase Winovich on the screen pass and then and had a fumble recovery on a special teams uh, situation there too. So I think the question to me or for you would be, do you run Deion Jones out there, more experienced yet not quite the athlete, uh, not, not quite the mover, but more experience has been around it, or do you put uh, fields out there. Cause those are your three linebackers, but you got to take one off when you go nickel and they live in nickel 70% of the time, sometimes, sometimes more they play Cincinnati who's 11 personnel heaven. So they'll play 90% nickel snaps, <laughs> maybe more this week, unless Samaj P Ryan's just killing them, which that's been the case for Samaj lately. But I'd imagine they'll play two backers. Are you more comfortable with Dion on the field or do you want to see them get Tony field some experience to see what they have there? I think until the Browns lose again, you have to go with a veteran. Um, but I think it's important. Like, it's just an important question because it's important to recognize Anthony Walker, Jacob Phillips, now Taki Taki, right? Like injuries are always a part of the game, but there's a big difference between an injury, four injuries, you know, three injuries at three different positions and three injuries in the same kind of linebacker group. And so I think Deion Jones has been, every little bit that they traded for, right? Which is not much. They didn't give up much. And there's a reason for that. Um, and he just looks like that shoulder's dead. But I think you need, you know, a little bit more beef than Tony Fields has, a little bit more maybe thump than Tony Fields has. Um, and so I think you you just got to go in that direction and just figure out what happens from there. Like that's kind of where they're at at this point until they lose. Barometer of end of season, um, you know, young guy reps and where you're at and competing for a long shot. Hope that'll be something to track. I mean, they might like fields more than we know, and they may, they may play him right away. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. He'll still find his way onto the field in some certain situations. We will, uh, we'll keep an eye on that, but Cincinnati, not a great matchup for three linebackers, special team stuff, two big special teams questions as we close. So Donovan people's Jones set up Tampa Bay game. You could start to see that just the way punt returns work and how you like, you can feel how team how how you handle a catch and guys barreling down on you the cut you have to make to make a guy miss who's running downfield how you have to get north and south the lanes I just thought I could see it click it clicked into a touchdown against the Texans um, and you know I felt pretty good I was like oh, I got that one right but anyway the question is you know DPJ is proving to be a pretty talented punt returner here it took some time it's a great lesson on patience but you can see it clicking but do you want a guy who is your second wide receiver to handle all of your punt return duties that's not a very normal thing across the league. Most of the time you're seeing fifth, sixth wide receivers or a running back or corner handle those things like a down depth corner. So are you comfortable with DPJ doing this in the, in the future? Or do you want to see them add, keep Jakeem Grant around late, later on into the next year? Or, you know, like I mentioned earlier with Darden, somebody claimed off of waivers or something like that. You know, I'm okay with DPJ doing it um, only because 
I don't think I think he's obviously your number two wide receiver, your number three weapon in the passing game, your number four weapon overall. Right. So you're talking Cooper and Joku, Nick Chubb, and then you have him. And so, listen, you're paying Deshaun Watson a lot of money to help other players develop up, help other receivers get better. And so at this point in time, Donovan Peoples-Jones is their best punt returner. I think one of the things that there is no numbers for is there is a feel like you talked about. There is a feel to that position that it doesn't just mean speed, right? You know, running backs tend to have some good feel for that, but don't always have kind of the the quickness or the the speed to to kind of hit the holes. So until you have someone who is better than DPJ, I have no problem with it. I also think it helps if you're going to sign him to a second contract. I think it helps that value be a little bit more okay, depending on which direction they go. And right now, wide receiver contracts are going through the roof. So, um, you know, for me overall, I'm okay with um, him returning. Do they? Would it be great if they could find an upgrade there? Sure. But instead of kind of that fifth or sixth wide receiver being that guy, if they know they have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who can do the punt returning, maybe they go in a different direction with a height, speed, weight kind of guy, you know, that they can kind of develop into a receiver in case, in case Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, gets hurt, whatever it is. So I'm okay with it because they need somebody who can do it. Jim Leonard cannot is not coming back, and we don't want someone just to be, <laughs> uh, you know, waving down uh, for a fair catch. Yeah, Jim Leonard staying at Wisconsin. Shout out to Jim Crazy. Leonard. Crazy. Also noticed, uh, tweeted just now that the Rams were the only team to claim Mayfield, just for the yeah. record, what you were saying <laughs> earlier. Um, let's close with this. Cade York, I've noticed, man, like – York has uh, some well-documented stuff. There were some people last week trying to put pinning the issues with accuracy on Corey Bohorquez, who, again, shout out to Corey, had a great week of punting. Um, uh, Jay Feely, who covered the game, ironically, went back and tweeted that he watched everything. His plant foot issues is what he called them. It wasn't a hold issue or a snap issue, which I agreed with. I haven't seen anything wrong with those. He's got a plant foot issue, he says, in terms of where he gets that thing going right at the kick, which is not easy. It's It's a tough thing to do. Uh, but but the kicking was better. I'll give him field goals. PATs better was was uh, 100% accurate in the game. The thing I notice now is there's a kickoff issue, and this is a big point of, of contention with York because he he didn't kick off at LSU, and that was something he wasn't doing. So he's also taking on a new uh, a new endeavor there with with kicking off all the time, being the full time kickoff guy, which is different. It's a seven step runoff to kick instead of the traditional uh, three step to kick PATs and field goals. What I found interesting watching the game uh, on rewind, Jared was he's had these issues over the last three weeks of kind of knuckleballing the football. What they do is they, they have uh, either, Hey man, kick the hell out of it and get it out of the back of the end zone. If you can, or we're going to try to sky kick it down to the goal line. And uh, the aiming point is in between the hash mark and the numbers to the right. He's been okay. He's had this issue running up lately where he's not getting uh, the right part of the football and he's kicking these like knuckleball line drives, had one against the Bills when they were in Detroit and then had two back to back against the Texans. And he was very visibly frustrated. And I could see there was like an effort moment where he just said, I'm just going to three step kickoff. He's literally kicking kickoffs the last three kickoffs, which were all three touchbacks, which is very notable. All three of them were kicked into the middle of the end zone from just a three-step run up and kick it, which again, that's boomed. That's crushed, first of all. Um, but that maybe he's just like what I don't want Kay York doing, Jaren. This isn't really a question, it's just more of a talking point. I don't want him spending time thinking about kicking off. Like 
How am I going to screw this up? What's going on? I want him thinking about kicking the ball through the uprights. So if that means you have to three-step kick it off and you get a touchback every time, I don't care. That's not going to change the outcome. Yeah, sometimes you can pin a team down inside the 25, maybe anywhere from the 16 to the 23. Cool, great. You get a couple yards advantage. But that sacrificing that over sacrificing Cade focusing on his kicking is the trade-off I need. I don't want Cade focused on anything other than honing in the craft of kicking extra points and field goals. Do you get what I'm saying there? I'm, I'm interested to see if that continues. And it's something for everybody to keep their eye on because that's different. Like he's literally lining up. It looks like he's about to onside kick it. And the Texans were like, okay, this is weird. And then he kicks <laughs> it deep. I have video of it. I'll put up at the OBR tomorrow. But yeah, like I think there's something there with Cade is going through this, this first year of, oh, it was a lot, right? I'm learning new things. There's, there's new uh, NFL rules and there's new uh, uprights are skinnier. There's just a lot here. I think he's doing okay. But there's certainly you can see the growing process, right? Yeah, and I think I think you hit it nail on the head. In the end, I haven't loved that Mike Prefer has trained his special teams as kicker to kick it high and to the one yard line or to the goal line. Not because that's not a great idea. It is. And oftentimes they might end up at the 21 instead of the 25, you know, all of that. But A, the Browns have traditionally not been great in special teams anything. Uh, so coverage units aren't always going to be good. Uh, I'd rather just kick it out. Um, that four yards, exactly what you're talking about. We can deal with that four yards, those six yards every once in a while. We can look to get that advantage once Cade is really kind of comfortable. But like you said, he's going through it right now. Let's let that be the thing. He's kicking it through the uprights. It's impressive that he can do it on a three-step drop, which also maybe opens up some of the uh, the fake or the onside out of nowhere kind of thing and all that kind of stuff. But let's make him comfortable with his plant foot, with his timing, with his rhythm. Even the fact that they had, you know, just some of the the height stuff. Like I saw one of his recent kicks. It looked like his whole goal was to kick it as high as possible. Like he, it was like a 42 yard or something like that. And it looked like he was trying to kick it over the net just to make sure that thing didn't get, didn't get blocked. Right. So let's make sure you focus on the most important thing. Yes, those extra four or six yards every once in a while can be important, but they're not more important than kicking field goals, extra points, all of that. I agree absolutely with what you're saying. Yeah, and it's not like when they're kicking it deep, they're handling things that much better either. I mean, the difference between the best and worst team in average starting position is the 23-yard line, 23.7 to 27.9. That's not, it's not huge here. And like the Browns are 26th at allowing teams to start at the 26.5. Uh, yard line on average so even when they do that perfectly executed higher lofted kick to the goal line it's not like they're yielding these fantastic results here so i need them to have more touchbacks compared to the rest of the league the browns sit at 17th and kickoff touchbacks uh, 52 is the number that the dallas cowboys have at the top the browns have 39 so they need to just drive it into the end zone i think that that's the simplest thing and you take a lot of thinking and stress out of your kicker's life and can make things a little bit more focused. Again, he was not a college kickoff guy. And that's, uh, I don't know the reasoning for that at LSU. Maybe some of you know it from reading up on Cade. I don't remember seeing a rationale for it, but he didn't kick off there. So he's kind of learning that craft. The seven step run up is different. It's a, there's a, there's a difference in getting your feet placement, right? Your timing, right? And there's something off with it. And I don't want that side of things impacting the more important side, which are the kicks going through the uprights. All right, that's a wrap for today. A lot of stuff here with Jared. I think we covered some great points. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Jared, we always value your time here immensely, my friend. And not a problem, brother. I appreciate your time. 
Okay, guys, that's a wrap for today's episode. A shout out to Jared for being here and joining us, taking his time uh, as usual as he does so graciously. Uh, and then, um, you know, make sure you guys check out the OBR for some good written up content in the next few days, including some analytics previews and recaps that I think tie into a lot of the way these guys are performing. And then we'll look at some Deshaun film where we look at some of the overthrow stuff. Uh, and then we'll also uh, look at uh, some McCade's kicking stuff so I can put that into written word and show you guys exactly what I'm seeing so you can stay up to date with all your Cleveland Browns kicking information. Um, we will uh, also, uh, like I said, if you if you miss Chalk Talk where I'll be with Kyle, 40 minutes of really good offensive line conversation, go back and check that out where we pick into the run game efficiency is down since the bye week. We give our reasoning on why. We look at some Jed Wills technique stuff, talk about some of Wyatt Teller's struggles. That can be found on the Twitch, the OBR Twitch. There's about, like I said, 48 minutes of good offensive line discussion there between the two of us so check that out if you would like to uh go back and look at that otherwise uh, we'll like i said have a have a all of our regular guests on later in the week we'll have uh, jordan we'll have john colosimo we'll have brad ward and then we'll have a guest to talk to us a little bit about where the Bengals are as well so listen have a great wednesday i appreciate you stopping by this obr podcast and continuing to support the twitch website and this pod have a great day guys go browns This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.